That's right. Today we have an amazing dose of community information for you. We have Thomas Watson who will be on soon to talk about EPA electric truck rules proposal. And Mary O'Connell will be on later to talk about specific problems related to transporting refrigerated food. But first, it's Alan Adler and Truck Tech segment with our top story going in for today's community segment. And we're talking about megawatt charging Alan, we're excited to have you on and we're excited to have you join us today to talk about what's going on here. Well, thanks, guys. It's good to be with you. You know, it's interesting because until about eight o'clock last night, I had a different idea for what the newsletter would be this week. And then I pivoted and uh, we decided on megawatt charging for a really good reason. And I think you've got some video that shows why. Um, Yesterday in uh, the LA area, El Monte specifically, Snyder uh, revealed its first megawatt uh, charging station. That is megawatt being the big, the big box that you'll see that that contains all of the electrical, um, uh, you know, interface and, and things like that. That's the box on the left there. That is going to allow a charging up to 32 Class 8 trucks at one time. Now, when you look at math like that, you can see how this just might work to have electric trucks in regional hall and drayage and things like that. This is actually the first of two. Uh, act uh, two installations like this that uh, is being worked on the other one out in Ontario with NFI Industries, both of which are heavily subsidized by by California through a program called Jetsy. And uh, this is now what's got to happen. If we're going to make these electric trucks work in more than ones and twos, you've got to have places like this that you can charge them a, a lot at a time and uh, be able to move the power around. Now, in that box that you saw, is about 1.2 megawatts of electricity at one time. That's more than you'd kind of want to deal with, I think. But the idea is you can switch these out now and do about 350 kilowatts of charging at a time, which is enough to um, basically charge a truck in about 90 minutes uh, to go from 20% of its state of charge all the way to 80%. And that would keep these trucks moving. And so what's really important about this is this is the way it's got to go. There's a great shot when you see all those trucks in one place at, at one time. And, and Snyder uh, also through um, California Incentives got 50 uh, uh, eCascadia electric trucks from Freightliner. They're buying more. They'll have more than 90 by the end of the year. Almost all for drayage and for regional hall in, in California, because that's where the regulations, of course, count most. And that's where you'll get the most credit for, for making this transition. But you're starting to see, and we'll talk more about this in the newsletter, you're starting to see where megawatt charging, which now has its own standard. So we're going to avoid, for those of you who remember VHS and beta uh you know, um, video recording, there was a, a battle probably in the 80s, I guess, between those two and VHS ultimately won out. But the idea being that we're not going to have that problem because we do have a, a charging standard now for megawatt charging. It's going to be a while before a lot of trucks can can actually take on a megawatt of charge at a time. Right now, that would be restricted to the Tesla Semi, which was built as a, a purpose-built electric truck, and Tesla created a megawatt charging system for it. The others are going to have to get there a little more slowly, but you're starting to see how you can split this power off and use it for multiple uh, chargings at once. So, Alan, obviously this is a massive step forward for Schneider to have this all in one condensed location, but for a lot of critics of electric truck charging infrastructure in particular, 
people talk about kind of the timeline that it takes to develop that infrastructure, how long that takes, and then the resultant strain that charging, it looks like what, you could probably charge a dozen of those at a time. It looked like about 12 to 20 stations, right? Uh, 32. Okay. So that's, that's even more, right? That's a huge amount of strain that that puts then on the grid and then your generation of electricity. Is there still that kind of criticism facing this or is there a really good collaboration going on between Schneider and the local utility to make sure that it doesn't put an overarching amount of strain? Well, uh, Kaylee, there's a lot of parties. You named some of them that are involved in this. And obviously, where you put an installation like this matters most, because if it already has a lot of power going in, let's say, and I've used this example before, let's say it's a cold storage warehouse, which has a, a big power draw, right? If that's already installed, then it's easier to put in charging stations like this. But this is obviously a special project. This is not something that's going to pop up overnight all over California or anywhere else. But uh, these two installations, the other one being the NFI installation that I mentioned, these two are special. They're obviously they were uh, permitted. They they had a lot of utility involvement. They've been in planning for a few years. Um, and and now I think as much as anything, these are sort of to show people what is possible, what can happen. But you're right. Uh, as far as the drain on the grid, that would be an issue if you put it somewhere where there was enough power to support it. But the grid itself is not a single thing. It is, it is, you know, what has been done to the power lines, the transformers, substations, things like that in a given area. And if that, if that sort of predicate infrastructure exists, then you can have charging like this. Um, but there are many, many places you probably couldn't do it. You know, we, we talked a few weeks ago about Fontana, California, where I think we actually showed a picture of a Snyder truck being charged. Um, you know, and there is a lot of opportunity down there because there are so many warehouses and things that are already drawing a lot of power. So um, the idea of putting in the charging stations is much less of a bit of a big deal. Alan, California definitely seems to be the state that's leading the way for this charging and the infrastructure and electrification of fleets. I didn't want to do it. Ah, I knew uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it. (laughs) But do we see? All right, go on. (laughs) Do we see any other states also following suit or looking to get involved in, in type of this infrastructure build out as well? Well, I, I'm not aware of anything quite on this scale yet, Anthony, but I, I do think in New York and in Texas, where you've got, you know, follow on activity, um, you're going to you're going to see this being a model, if you will, of how to do it. The thing to keep in mind about this is that these are both going to serve largely drainage routes that is from the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach out to the Inland Empire you know, San Bernardino, Ontario, places like that in California, where so many goods are coming off the ships, they're getting onto trucks, they're going to the, the distribution and warehousing district, if you will, in the Inland Empire. And so it's a purpose-built thing. I, I remember NFI telling us that, you know, they have about 100 trucks that run drayage, and they will be all electric trucks, I think by the end of this year is the plan, um, you know, if they can get the trucks and, and everything. But they're working on their own uh, facility, again, funded in part by Jetsy. Uh, you know, to, to be able to do this. So, so again, it's a, it's a use case situation where you've got drayage and, you know, relatively short, repeatable routes. This is very workable. Um, we're not talking long haul over the road trucking and won't be for quite some time. It's going to be interesting to watch and see as that continues to develop. Alan, we teased the story a little bit earlier, but yesterday Nicola held that vote that we've been talking about now for a couple weeks. The outcome was not as desired for the company, right? What happened? 
Right. And, and I don't think, Kaylee, that was a surprise to anybody um, because, uh, uh, you know, Nicola had been telegraphing, look, we're not done with this. We're going to keep going. Uh, you can look to last year where it took them four tries. They had to adjourn their annual meeting. It's a virtual meeting, but they had to adjourn it three times because they didn't have enough votes to, uh, you know, pass what they were trying to do in terms of uh, increasing the number of authorized shares. Um, this is a bigger lift, but uh, at the end of the day, it looks like Nicola will succeed whether or not the enough of the 50% of total shares, not just people voting on this measure, but, you know, 400, uh, currently be 400 million shares have to be voted in favor of this. But come August, the state of Delaware, where Nicola is incorporated, is going to change the rule and allow all measures to be done on a, you know, the number of votes for a given measure. At this moment, Nicola already has enough to pass that. It said yesterday, 77% of the people who voted voted in favor of the uh, uh, of of the share authorization doubling from 800 million to 1.6 billion shares. So I think they're going to get there, um, and it may be because of a rule change. Um, they're going to take another run at this on July 6th, and uh, they'll count the they'll count the votes again. Uh, they there were a lot of things they didn't say yesterday. They didn't say, for example, whether Trevor Milton. Uh, voted in favor or against. We don't know, and they are not saying um, what happened there. Same with Mark Russell, who, you know, a year ago was the was the CEO of the company and was on the board. Now he's neither. Um, also a large, large shareholder in the company. So it's really hard to know exactly how those guys voted. They they may or may not ever tell us. I think I think Nicola wants to get past this, and uh, I think they see a path to do that. So um, even though it did not carry yesterday, I don't know that that's a, a, a terribly big deal. In fact, you know, the stock is in such horrible shape. It, it closed at 59 cents, but that was still up about 14% yesterday. Now, again, off a really low base, but, um, but you know, they live on to fight yet another day, guys. Anthony, are you seeing your investment payoff yet? It's twenty bucks, so I think I'll survive, and I am yeah, right? seeing it pay off. So yeah, I'm up. I'm up quite a few percentages there. And Alan, hey, we're- let me tell you, if you had if you had bought Too Simple about three weeks ago at eighty two cents, you would be in the money. They're up to two dollars and thirty cents a share. They've gone up that much in the last uh, couple of weeks. I don't know why, but they have. <laughs> and uh, and if you got in really cheap, you're probably in great shape. There you go. Always get a little bit nervous when irrational market starts to swing like that and just things start to move without you're any all, kind you're, of... You're channeling your Paul Volcker here. I was going to say, the economist so. in you talking, Anthony. Very much so. Suspicious. Shut it, it down. Is. Shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> was it he the irrational exuberance guy? Was that Volcker or was that somebody else? I think That's maybe the, right the guy track. after him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think they're on the right track there. Alan, thanks so Do much for Thank joining you. us no today. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Love it. The laughs this morning. If you want to catch more of Alan Adler, you can go and watch yesterday's Trek Tech up on demand on tv.freewaves.com and catch it live every Wednesday at four o'clock Eastern time. Right now, we're going to hand things on over to Thomas Watson and Donnie Gilbert. They've got our first carrier update this morning.